And welcome in, Late Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, November 10th, the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm scrolling even as we come on air. I'm trying to find out if something got canceled in the time that I walked from the break room into the studio. Hey, nevertheless, the show's not canceled. Happy to have you with us. We, uh, believe it or not, we were jam-packed because Tuesday night is prediction night around here. We're still sort of jam-packed. Could be one of the shorter shows that we've done, but then again, I said that a couple of weeks ago and we went 47 minutes. So we're gonna be here sometime between five minutes and an hour tonight. Uh, we have a slightly modified show, so I remind you, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Click the bell for notifications if you haven't already. We do three live shows a week, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. And also follow me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. Just a few hours ago, I put out another one of our five best bets on the Ramen Noodle Express. And this has been a very emotional day for Colin and I, not just because games are being canceled, but if you know anything about me, you know that I grew up a huge fan of trains up to this very moment. I love trains. That is the very reason why we named our best bet segment the Ramen Noodle Express. And our buddies over at NCAAF Nation 24-7, they got kind of creative on Twitter earlier. Colin, do you have that picture, actually, that they put up a little while ago? I grew up a huge fan of Thomas the Tank Engine. And if you would have told me at any point in my life that a fan, a viewer of mine, whatever capacity, was going to put my face on the front of a train, I don't care if there were packaged dry noodles associated with it, I would have thought no amount of salary, no amount of money would ever be equal to that. Today, as far as I'm concerned, Colin, we made it. The show made it. And if you're listening to the podcast, I would strongly recommend that you go watch the version on YouTube just this once, and you can look at the beauty that might as well be hung in the Louvre at this point that we're showing on, on screen now. So thank you guys for that. And I would not mind at all if that became a trend. I'm not stopping you. In fact, I'll probably show it on the air. So we've got to talk mood tracker tonight. We're going to do that. We're going to talk about all of the juicy details coming out of Georgia practice. Could it be this week that finally JT Daniels gets the start? Well, that's the second question. The first question is, could it be that Georgia plays a football game? Could they be the rarity? Could they be the peacock in the SEC that actually finds a way to play a football game this Saturday? Uh, South Carolina Ole Miss, they haven't been canceled yet. So I'm going to get to the postponements momentarily. Also, we are going to revisit... One of the great questions that was given to us this morning on the Late Kick Extra podcast, listen to that if you haven't already, we're back to our normal schedule. Our buddy Otto, who's a frequent contributor, he gave a great question. It was a few days ago, so I had to wait to hit it this morning, and he had a really good question. I'm supposed to go like three or four minutes max on those. I went 14 and a half minutes this morning. Probably not going to do that tonight, although we certainly have time. But I am going to revisit that tonight. So here's what's happened so far today before we even get into the uh, actual uh, nuts and bolts of the show. We have Texas A&M and Tennessee postponed. We have Auburn and Mississippi State postponed. We have Alabama and LSU postponed. And then we have ellipses. It's a word I learned, oh, I don't know, n no more than two years ago because I was trying to make myself sound a lot smarter than I am. It's just dot, dot, dot. That means who knows what else could happen. Uh, there have been rumors about Georgia-Missouri, but so far so good there. I know Drinkwitz is speaking I, I think as we speak, actually, so I'm trying to get updates here as we roll along. This is the beauty of uh, live streaming. So far, I don't see that that game's been postponed. So let's plan on that one happening, and let's just cross our fingers. I tweeted out Monday morning, cross your fingers for college football this week, and a lot of you were wondering what that meant, and I couldn't answer you because we didn't have clearance to tell you, but we were getting word Monday, hey, it's not looking good. We were getting word Friday, not looking good for a lot of these games. That's what those Halloween parties will do to you, friends. And what a lot of people have been worried about inside the league 
amongst the contending teams is once some other teams sort of fall off and you lose that incentive to keep things really buckled down tight and keep everyone isolated, then, well, that may ruin it for the entire league. Like that, I told you all the while back when, in August when we were talking about the blueprint for having a season, it wasn't getting off the ground. A lot of people were confident they could get the seasons off the ground. Do you keep it at cruising altitude? And that remains to be seen. So we're going to revisit that probably on the Thursday show. But as for one of the games that hasn't been postponed as of yet, some really interesting times at Georgia. They just lost to Florida. So you come out of that and you already got two losses and it probably not going to Atlanta for the SEC championship game. And so the current mindset of many, many Georgia fans that I've heard from this week is Kirby Smart can't handle the quarterback position. He can't handle it. He can't develop them. Um, he doesn't know how to cast a vision offensively. That, by and large, is the mentality. We're going to talk about Georgia in a little while on the Mood Tracker, too. And so Kirby Smart, unwilling to evolve, unwilling to do what it takes to put a championship-caliber product on the field offensively. That, in not so many words, is what I've heard from a lot of you. So I'm just going to offer up a little counter as we frame this with the backdrop being the JT Daniels potential for Saturday. Get to that momentarily. Here's the counter argument. What if Kirby Smart did evolve? What if he did press those buttons? Talked about Jim Harbaugh not doing that. Well, what if Kirby did it? And what if he just couldn't follow through on it? So I just want to ask one question, okay? This is a devil's advocate argument. I'm not necessarily taking his side. I know you guys were in a little spat right now, so I'm not taking sides. I'm all for my viewers. I'm with you. Uh, come, come hell or high water. But let's just play devil's advocate. What if he did? Because I want to ask you one question. Just change one thing. What if JT or what, what, if, what if Jamie Newman didn't leave Georgia? What if he didn't opt out? If that was the only thing I could go back in time and change, what if he didn't leave? What would the season look like? Because let me tell you what I think may have been in Kirby Smart's mind. If you're, if you're steadfast in your belief that it's your way or the highway, if you're unwilling to evolve, would you change coordinators? Would you go out and hit the transfer market hard for quarterbacks? I don't know that the answer is yes there. I certainly don't know that you would have made the change at coordinator if you were happy with what you were getting. Just give me Coley. Give me more James Coley. So he made the switch, okay? And he made the switch there, but then let's say you lose spring, which everyone did. I get that. But you were asking a much bigger change at Georgia than you would have been anywhere else. Like Alabama's already going to do their thing offensively because that's already what they were. You were asking Georgia to evolve and completely overhaul what they were. So you lose spring, and you're Kirby Smart, and you're sitting here watching, and maybe you still think, okay, but I still got a quarterback I believe in, still got an offense I believe in, got a championship-caliber defense, got a good run game, got a good O-line, like I'll be able to lean on them if the worst were to happen. Okay, well, then you get into the summer, and here comes the league schedule out, and here comes fall camp, and we go into fall camp, and then Jamie Newman opts out. So both prongs of that evolution plan, well, at least two of those prongs are now out. Your quarterback's out, and you lost spring. And so now, what, what are we doing here? Like, what are we going to do? Are we still going to risk this knowing what I have defensively? If I'm Kirby Smart, and we told you at the time, I remember doing this segment back in August when we were asking what's the identity of the Georgia offense going to be. Once Newman opted out, that night where we came on air, I was making two points. The first point was, where are all the haters? Because there were a lot of folks who hated on him for going to get JT Daniels. Remember, you're going to make the quarterback room too crowded. You're going to chase someone off. I don't know why. I don't know if that's why that um, Jamie Newman was, was chased off. But the second point that we made that night was that's that. What I meant by that, I guess I didn't explain it well enough on that show, but what I meant when I said, well, that's that, was 
Georgia's reverting right back into their tortoise shell to what they have been. Because there's no way, given all the, the shifting right now and the lack of spring, there's no way Kirby Smart's about to look at the defense he has and look at the run game he thinks he'll have and say, you know what, let's wing it anyway offensively. He just wasn't going to do that. What would you have done differently, by the way? Let's say you were fully committed to making changes offensively, to be whatever you want Georgia to be offensively, but then you lost spring. And then your number one quarterback opted out, not in the summer, but in the middle of fall camp after you had already dedicated a lot of first-team practice reps to him. What would you have done? So I keep asking folks that. In my DMs, I keep asking a lot of you that. And I've got a lot of, well, I wouldn't start Stetson Bennett. Well, who would you have started? Who, who would it have been in his place? Because, by the way, Kirby Smart didn't start Stetson Bennett. If I need to take you back to week one, they were looking for any reason to start someone other than Stetson Bennett. They knew his limitations. They started Dewan Mathis. It was a disaster. Couldn't even make it to the half. They were down 7-5 to five to Arkansas at the half. So then the second thing that you come back with, not all of you, just some of you, some of you have come back with, well, I would have had my quarterback room more settled. What does that mean? He had Jamie Newman there. Jamie Newman was sought after on the transfer market. A lot of schools would have loved to have had Jamie Newman. There is no magic eight ball that you shake every time you have a guy on your roster and it tells you whether he's going to opt out or not. That's not part of anyone's plan. So you could say, well, you got to roll with the punches. That's why you recruit. Yeah, it is. But how many, how many quarterback rooms out there are built to withstand that kind of blow where you're going to take a decided number one and despite what anyone tells you, uh, that is exactly what Jamie Newman was, a decided front runner for that job. And you take him and he's gone. Scrap him. You're going to have to go with your backup. How many contenders out there are still contenders? You may find some anecdotal examples, but by and large, that completely crowbars the shin of your conference or national championship hopes most of the time. So then the third and probably the most popular go-to for a lot of people when I'm asking what would you do different than Kirby Smart, a lot of you have said, I would have played JT Daniels by now. So I want to just harp on this for a second, because now we get to this week. Coming out of the Florida game, Jake Rowe and the guys over at Dogs 24-7 reporting, it's back to the drawing board. JT Daniels has been taking first team reps at practice this week. I just hot off the presses, got the latest from Jake. He took a majority of the first team reps today. He, of course, being JT Daniels. And so we ask ourselves, and this has been a hot hot topic of conversation in the 24-7 Sports Slack room. Uh, you know, someone, someone um, Venmo me $10,000, and I'll give you a burner account so you can get in there. Make it $20,000. I mean, a lot of you are crazy. You'd probably go ten dollars Everyone wants to know if this is going to happen and what it's going to look like. But let me go back, okay, because it hasn't happened yet. So a lot of you say, well, I would have played JT, and uh, here, here's the follow-up. In some shape, form, or fashion, a lot of you guys always say, I would have played JT because it can't be worse. Yeah, it can. It can be a lot worse. It can be a whole lot worse. You see, you don't know what you don't know. I don't know what I don't know, and I don't know what you don't know, but I do know this. Number one, you got a guy running a program, and there's no one on planet Earth with more incentive to win for Georgia than Kirby Smart. Number two, the guy has forgotten more football than you and I will ever know in 10 lifetimes combined. Number three, he is intimately familiar with every aspect of his roster. Number four, there are all kinds of things, both tangible and intangible in nature, about players that go into making personnel decisions. You can't, it could be medical, it could be discipline, it could be mental. I'm not floating anything here. This is purely hypothetical. It applies to every player, JT Daniels included. 
there are reasons why guys are on the field and guys aren't on the field. And it doesn't always boil down to how many stars they had next to their name coming out of high school. And I work for 24-7 sports, so I'm in the star business. But there's a lot more to it than that. Everyone on our rankings council would tell you there's a lot more to it than that. So you go back to that, and I ask, what is the insinuation? When you say, oh, I would have played JT Daniels by now, what you're insinuating is he's ready to play. Okay, I have flatly told you from everyone I've talked to at Georgia, he hasn't been ready to play. That's all I can go on. Okay, That's all folks have said there. And the sourcing has been pretty good on that. So the insinuation is JT Daniels, according to this mentality, has been ready to play and for whatever reason, Kirby Smart has voluntarily kept the best option for Georgia to win on the bench. What sense would that ever make? What sense would it... And don't come back at me and say, it doesn't make sense. He's just an idiot. Now, be real. Be real. Because idiots don't make it all that long in this game at this level. So let's just assume for a second that there is no impairment here. And it, Kirby Smart does understand what he's looking at at the quarterback position. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe JT Daniels has just been ready the whole time? And Kirby said, I'm going to go with the guy that was four string and we told wasn't going to play quarterback a month before the season anyway. That, I think that is the path I want to go. Has he looked thrilled at the quarterback situation at any point this year? I don't think so. I mean, I, if, if, if you haven't seen him on game day, I mean, he constantly has to pat those guys on the head and, and all but kiss them on the cheek because they're so rattled and they don't know where they're going. They don't really have a discernible identity offensively. Well, anyway, so now that I've gotten through all that, let's look forward to Saturday where, again, fingers crossed, hopefully we see a football game and it is Georgia at Missouri. Is he going to start Saturday? Is JT Daniels really going to start? And if that happens... Oh, obviously there are a couple of different scenarios. Now, he could get in there and struggle, at which point it's I told you so mode, even though you're never going to hear it from Kirby Smart. But, of course, we all know there's something else in play. We also know that there's a path, maybe a, maybe a narrow one, hiccup, excuse me, there's a path where JT Daniels is like 6 of 7 for 113 yards and two touchdowns in the first quarter. Just comes out guns blazing. And I shudder to imagine what the dog's 24-7 message board would be like, what my iJosh would be like. I'd need to have it on charge all day. What Twitter would be like. If that were to happen and they win a game convincingly and JT Daniels plays uh, at easily as high a level as any quarterback you've seen at Georgia this year, it would be a win-win slash lose-lose, I guess, because you would have won the game. You would have found your answer at quarterback for the rest of the year, but then you would have the post-game presser where you would have to have Kirby Smart explain to you, was there something else in the works here? Like, did he just get cleared medically this week and we didn't know it? How in the world was he not already on the field? You know and I know it's coming if there's a legitimate performance from JT Daniels. So I'm going to watch along with the rest of you guys and I will judge accordingly. So right now, I played the devil's advocate. That kind of coincides with how I actually feel. But my mind could be changed. It absolutely could be changed. Let's do the mood tracker. We hadn't done the mood tracker in a couple of weeks, and I had a text from one of my buddies out in Denver this morning, and he said, hey, what's that thing you do where you talk about the temperature of the fan bases, and you hadn't done it in a couple of weeks? Mood tracker? Yeah, that's it. You ought to do one for Georgia. So I said, I'll do one for them. So I'm going to do them last, uh, but I'm going to do them for four different teams here. That's normally what we do. The mood tracker, as I have frequently explained, but it's been, as he said, a few weeks, 
is we remove the fringes, the pessimist and the optimist, and we take the middle 80%, and we just tell you, hey, what's the temperature? Stick a thermometer right there in the Florida fan base. They're going to start us off tonight. What is the temperature of the Florida fan base? And so the Florida fan base right now, I have the mood as enjoying the view, because this is different. This is pretty rarefied air. Ever since Mullen's been down there, this is not familiar territory for Florida. They are now the toast of the division. They can kind of look around right now. It's not that you take your foot off the gas. I'm talking about the fans' mood, not the players or coaches. The fans, if you're a Florida fan, you got a couple of, you got a couple of days here before you got to get ready for Arkansas to kind of breathe deeply and sigh and, you know, stretch your back because you're up on top of the mountain now and you can look around and you can think to yourself, wow, it's pretty up here. And look, I can see Atlanta from here. This is how Georgia feels every year. This is great. It's just, again, I can see Atlanta down there. It's right up 75. I can see it, and there aren't very many obstacles. And we know that's where we're going. And look over there. We can see Tuscaloosa from here, too. And we, we know who we're probably going to play in Atlanta. And so now you got everything in front of you. It's not muddy. It's not hazy. You're not driving through fog. And that's a view you should enjoy. Again, you can't have that attitude as a player, but... I mean, you guys in the Florida fan base, you're, not, you're, you're a secretary on Tuesday afternoon. I mean, you're a construction worker. You don't have to strap it up. So you got time to enjoy and then drive home and listen to a podcast and listen to someone talking about you enjoying for a change the view come early November. These are pretty good times for Florida fans. And now, you know, I almost went with another more aggressive observation, and that's kind of being in feeding frenzy mode because you could also describe it as that, but that has to do more with recruiting. You remember we were talking about coming into that game, and I, I reiterated this with Wilfong today. In fact, the Wilfong whip around is going to go live on the channel a little bit later tonight, and we're going to talk about the ramifications in a year where you can't be taking official visits, the ramifications for winning big games and how many recruitments it could swing. And we're going to have a couple of Florida-Georgia recruitments that we talk about tonight, and I mean, that's where the focus is. That's where the focus has got to be every week. If you're going to maintain that status, I, I don't care what your reputation is you got to be recruiting at a certain level. So you just got to keep surging. That's the thing. you got to keep on surging at this point. How about Notre Dame? Notre Dame, I would venture to think the attitude is different than what I perceive the attitude to actually be right now. They're coming off the biggest win, you could argue, in Brian Kelly's tenure there. He's been there a while. They just beat number one Clemson. And so you would think that they're ecstatic, and they are. They stormed the field the other night, but I've been around the Notre Dame fan base this week, and I've read a lot, and I've observed a lot, and it seems a whole lot more business as usual than you would expect. I think that's due to a few things. Again, there was a lot of excitement the other night. Colin's showing you the pictures right now. They stormed the field, and so everyone's elated, okay? That's a huge win. Make no mistake about it. Highest rated game of the year on TV, but the general sense I get with Notre Dame is they know there's still plenty of work to do. And also, there's this other thing. It's not at the forefront, but it's in the very back of their mind. They know they beat a somewhat hobbled Clemson team. Now, that doesn't take away the value of the win at all to me, nor does it to them. But what it does is, when, especially when you know you got to play them again to get where you want to go, you know that, well, you're going to face a team that has Trevor Lawrence probably starting at quarterback. Don't know how big a difference that would have made the other night. Uyangalale played out of his mind, but you also consider that you're probably going to face a healthier Clemson defense. And I think that will make a difference. But you also know you didn't play perfect football the other night. So once you start drilling down into the granular, finer details of that matchup in the rest of your season, you realize 
we're still in the heat of battle right now. They got to play Boston College Saturday. They're not even favored by two touchdowns. Like that's, they're going to have some competitive games here. I'm going to show you Thursday what our model thinks about that game, but that, make no mistake, that's a losable game. They are not dynamic at quarterback enough, even though Ian Book's coming off the game of his life, to take any of these games for granted. So you got to be business as usual. At this point, I think even the fan base probably feels a lot like the players and coaches do. So they know, fortunately, just like Florida, they still got everything in front of them. You can enjoy the view, but also keep your nose down. Penn State, not so much. Penn State is in funhouse mode. I had to think for a second on this one. Penn State is like in another reality right now. If you've ever been to a carnival, if you've ever been to a fair and you've walked in a fun house, it's really weird. Some of you are anti-clown. I'm not necessarily pro-clown, but I don't believe that outside of the ones in Are You Afraid of the Dark, formerly Great Show on Nickelodeon, I don't believe they're actually capable of doing you harm. So I'll go in a fun house. But when you go in a fun house, nothing looks right. You don't look right because every mirror that you look into is oblong and it's weirdly shaped. So it makes you look really wide and really tall and no one just looks normal. And that is Penn State football this year. There were high hopes. Next to Ohio State, there was no reason to believe there was a better equipped team to contend in the Big Ten than Penn State. And oh, we got an opt out here and we got an injury there, but that's okay. I mean, James Franklin and this staff, we trust them to put a product on the field. Indiana, boom. Ohio State, boom. Maryland, boom, boom, boom. Got to do more than one boom when you get blown out by Maryland. In football, not lacrosse, football. Maryland just housed them, just pants them right there on TV Saturday. What's Penn State? Where are we? Where is the real Penn State? That's what you got to be thinking. You're walking through the fun house, and here's a version of me that's 10 feet tall, and here's a version of me that's 10 feet wide. Where's the version of me that's supposed to win 38 to 19 or 35 19 against Maryland, whatever the score was? We just want normalcy. And so here's the one good thing about a fun house. The one good thing about a fun house, if you've ever been in one, is at least you know once you walk out of it, once you walk past that exit sign, you're good to go and everything's normal again. You can only hope, if you're a Penn State fan, if you're James Franklin, if you're inside that program, you can only hope that once you exit 2020, everything's back to normal. And there's no real way to know that until you get to the 2021 season. But it's been a nightmare so far this year for them. And now they got Nebraska this week. And I want you to think about this. And I was very proud of them. I was fully on board with it. Nebraska was very vocal about wanting a season to happen. Penn State, likewise, very vocal about wanting a season to happen. What kind of odds could I have gotten that by the time those two teams play, and they play Saturday, they would have been a combined 0-5 they haven't won again. Someone's winning Saturday if they play. Uh, that much I can shake the Magic 8 ball and tell you. So someone's coming away with a win. But wow, it's just crazy times in college football in the Big Ten. And lastly, we wrap it all the way back around and we go to Georgia. Georgia is in apply pressure mode. If you've ever cut somewhere close to the carotid artery, you know, and I am not a doctor, trust me, but even I know, even I've watched enough Sylvester Stallone movies to know you got to apply immediate pressure you got to stop the bleeding. And that's kind of where Georgia is right now. This is not a disaster of a season. It's only a disaster if you have the highest of high expectations, which they do. Penn State would trade places with Notre Dame or with uh, Georgia in a New York minute. That trade with Notre Dame, too, obviously. So you just got to stop the bleeding. The world is not coming to an end. However, here's what the concern is. The concern is... Can we stop the bleeding? Can we just make this a 2020 thing? We lost to Alabama. Hey, everyone loses to Alabama. We lost to Florida. Well, it was going to happen eventually. I mean, 
even the best runs that we've ever had in the history of that series. We don't win 15 in a row. I mean, eventually they're going to get one. Do they just get one? Or is it them starting their own string? Because we got to get quarterback, as we just talked about, ad nauseum figured out. And we got to get healthy because we're all kinds of banged up right now. First thing is we got to make sure we finish the rest of the season. Georgia's got very winnable games. In fact, let me pull this up while we're on the air and I've got a laptop in front of me. Georgia right now is looking at a trip to Missouri, and then they have got Mississippi State at home, and then they got a trip to South Carolina, and then they got Vanderbilt at home. Those are four opponents they'll be favored by double digits against. They should go 4-0 to end the year. And I don't think anyone's arguing with that. So the first thing, first can't stop in the bleeding, is just make sure you win the games you're supposed to win. They've lost to, as far as I can tell right now, uh, currently probably the two best teams in the conference. And if A&M wants to argue, I would gladly listen. But they've lost to two of the best three in the conference, let's say. Don't start bleeding in recruiting. Don't start bleeding in transfers. Don't start bleeding more in losing games now that you are a definitive favorite in. As long as you can manage and maintain that, you'll be okay come 2021 when, again, hopefully, every finger crossed again, everything's back to normal. Moving on, I was uh, recording the Late Kick Extra podcast this morning. And what that is, for those of you who are new, and we have new viewers every single week, and listeners, since we're talking about a podcast, is uh, I do two times a week just a mailbag. It's all listener Q&A. So on Tuesday morning and Thursday morning, if you subscribe to the Late Kick podcast, it's only on podcasts. We don't put it on the uh, YouTube channel. You can submit questions, and I try and answer in rapid-fire succession as many of them as I can. You can find me, joshpate706 at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter, which I advise you to do anyway, at LateKickJosh, and you can send me a DM there. So this morning, I'm recording, and Otto sent us a great question. It was a few days old because I hadn't recorded one in a little while. Election week threw us all off. And so I'm recording this morning, and Otto, who is a longtime friend of the program, he said, imagine, I'm paraphrasing him, imagine writing a letter to yourself in August. So I'm right here now, and I'm writing a letter to myself in the past. He said, what has happened that you'd like to warn yourself about? And so I thought I was going to be able to get it in in like two minutes. I ended up going 14 and a half minutes this morning on this. And if you want to hear that answer, you can go listen to the podcast. But I just kind of want to reiterate it because the more I thought through it, the more I said, this is a segment, especially because we got all these games postponed. This is a segment. You can think right along with me. I was doing a consultation with someone last night whose name is Richler, by the way. Rich, what a name, Richler. And that's the one, that's the one his mom gave him. He didn't even have to pick that. Richler. And I was talking to him about this, and I was, I was talking to some other folks about this this week, about, you know, you've got to be able to pivot. You can't be married to your preseason predictions. You've got to be in tune with the subcurrent and the undercurrent of college football. You've got to know what people are thinking. You've got to know what fan bases are saying. And especially this year more than ever, you've got to just be on your toes. Because the first thing that I would warn myself about in August is make sure that you require double validation for this year. We didn't have to wait long for this principle, this theory, if you will, to be in play. Remember week one, where were you when? Where were you when Mike Leach went into Baton Rouge and took down LSU in overwhelming fashion? I mean, they drowned. I mean, it was 44-34. K.J. Costello has the Heisman wrapped up after week one. He threw for the better part of a mile, it seemed like, on that Bo Pelini secondary, which we were told was in better shape than last year. How's that gone? And so there you were right there in the front seat 
with Gina Davis and with Susan Sarandon, and it's the final scene in Thelma and Louise, and there you are, putting the pedal to the floorboard, driving straight off the cliff, hands in the air, Mike Leach has got every one of you. And then week two happened, and then week three happened, and then week four happened. Now, I didn't fall for that one, fortunately. A lot of you did, though, and so rest in peace to your preseason predictions there and your week one predictions, but that's okay, because I was gotten a few weeks later by Michigan. I so proudly, and staunchly even, sat here right at this desk after Michigan went into Minneapolis as just a short three-point favorite, and they took down Minnesota. P.J. Fleck and that very undermanned defensive front, should have known, should have known better, Richard Marks, but I didn't. And so I actually put a video out that I have not deleted against my better judgment from the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. And Colin, if you'll remember, the thumbnail says, The New Michigan. The New Michigan, yeah. So then week two happened, and then Michigan State happened. And then last week, week three happened, and then Indiana happened. And while the Michigan State result, you could say, all right, we got a perfect storm of a letdown situation and a rivalry game and just everything goes wrong. Indiana just owned them. Like Indiana, it was almost like watching Alabama play um, South Carolina or someone like that. And Bama gets out to their big lead and then backups are in and Carolina, oh, they kind of chip away here or there. But then, you know, Bama puts up another touchdown. It's, it's like that. Indiana toyed with Michigan the other day. Indiana took their wide receivers and their quarterback, Penix, and they just... Just bailout throw after bailout throw. I mean, it was very simple. There was nothing too complex about what they did because that's how you attack Michigan. It's literally an attack. It's a psychological attack at this point when you throw at Michigan's corners because it's rough. It's rough. You see this cantina? This cantina had more pass breakups than Michigan's DBs did Saturday. Try to get the props involved whenever I can. And so that leads me to my second point. My second thing that I would advise myself in August is be aware that there are going to be wet fuses, and you don't know where they're going to be. It could be where you least suspect it. If you've ever tried to light a wet fuse, it's pointless. Totally pointless. Doesn't matter if you take a blowtorch to it. You're not lighting a wet fuse. And the season, as it turns out, was already doomed. Penn State, I go back to the Nittany Lions, perfect example of a team that, for whatever reason, could be a million different reasons, it has become obvious that COVID-19, even though it did proportionately impact the sport, okay, everyone in the Big Ten largely has dealt with the same thing. You, you largely got the same amount of spring practices in. You found out the schedules at the same time. You had the same amount of fall practices. So it stands to reason you could, from a very broad 50,000-foot perspective, say there's going to be no excuses here because everyone's dealt with it. And so since everything is equal, relatively speaking, the expectation level and the comparative analysis should be no different than a regular season. You could say that. I just don't buy it. The more we've got into it, you have the wet fuse theory, as I like to call it, starting this morning, in effect, to the point where COVID has so disproportionately impacted some programs relative to others. Is it an excuse? I guess. I just think it's a valid excuse. How else do you explain what's happening with Penn State? How else do you explain that? How do you, else do you look at a team that would otherwise be equipped to do pretty good things this year? They can't even get off the ground. That is the definition of a wet fuse, actually. It's just click, click, click. We can't light it. Dad, we can't light it. Did you buy us bad fireworks? I knew they were discounted for a reason. We can't light the fireworks. Like, that is Penn State right now. And so that leads me to my third point. And the third point is 
self, I'm writing to myself, remember, self, back in August, make sure before you get into the heat of battle, and make sure before your emotions take over, so it's August, before the season, make sure you define the maximum weight of the 2020 college football season. Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to go and get out into the season and then all of a sudden you're making snap judgments every week because you got wet fuses all over the place. And so you got some teams that look horrible and you're going to be ready to castigate the entire coaching staff after week two or week three. You got to define what's the maximum weight. So if you got a scale of zero to 10, normal season, the maximum could be 10. Let's say in August I decide, all right, with all the external factors in place, opt outs and otherwise. Some players have been sick, some quarterbacks have been quarantined, uh, coaching staff and players' families are dealing with all kinds of issues that you don't even know about because they're not public. There are so many external factors that are unique, one-time deals, never going to deal with them again. Don't hold the sport to the same caliber standard that you normally do. Let's say the maximum weight that I'm going to give this season is a six. Well, that probably means it's going to take drastic, drastically bad results for me to ever call anyone a hot seat candidate this year. That's where I am with James Franklin. I mean, if this were a normal year, this would be totally different. But I'm not there with him. I'm not there with Harbaugh, even though a lot of you Michigan folks are. And I understand, in your mind, it extends well before 2020. I don't think many people were there before 2020 with James Franklin. So my philosophy on that is, if I wasn't already there before, I'm probably not going to allow myself to be there afterwards. I think the one exception, if you've watched the show regularly, the one exception has been Tom Herman. There's a little bit of hypocrisy. I already I wrote it down. It's, it's giant caps letters here, hypocrisy. I'm going to give myself one out there. Because what I believe about Herman in Texas, I think also extends before this. However, if you wanted to debate me on that and you wanted to throw my own theories back in my face, I wouldn't be able to push back against it too hard or else I'd sound like a politician. I mean, I could do it. Trust me, I could. I took several debate classes. But yeah, outside of Tom Herman in Texas, I think most of that applies. And I'm not going past a six on the waiting of this year. But a lot of you put in the comments, and a lot of you tweeted at me today, and I, you probably will on this video too when we cut it, what would you write to yourself? Maybe you bet on this stuff a lot. Like, what would you write to yourself? You give yourself the winning lotto numbers. So speaking of betting, as we move uh, towards... Hey, Colin, it's 35 minutes into the show. I knew we could make it. As we move towards the end of the show, I got to tell you, on the Ramen Noodle Express, which we are hitting at 58.8% against the spread so far this year, I just banged the microphone, um, we have not done any weeknight games. We have not done what the natives affectionately refer to as maction. We have not delved into maction until now. So we gave you the other night West Virginia minus three. That's our first play. They are facing TCU. That is a noon kickoff. For the Mountaineers, I guess that's 11 a.m. local time for TCU. And that's the first game. That's our best bet. But we're also going to add in a Wednesday night game, which is a mere 24 hours from now, friends. It pays to watch the show live. Eastern Michigan, plus nine against Ball State. We will be on that game tomorrow night. We think there is a moderate chance they compete to win the game outright. We're not taking money line. Don't misunderstand me. We're taking Eastern Michigan, plus nine. Now, here's what else we're going to do. We're going to monitor as best we can what's happening in the uh, college football ether. And if there are more games postponed, then so be it. We'll still be here to talk to you Thursday night about it, and we'll have some fun either way. Make sure you subscribe to the Late Kick podcast as well, because we're going to do that either way. Uh, Thursday will be our next Late Kick Extra. And, you know, like, I got to get home in a little while because I'm talking to one of you guys on Zoom later tonight. 
I told you last week that it was probably going to be the last week I said it, but then a lot of you flooded my inbox, and so I've extended it. As long as there are some of you guys out there who are interested in getting into sports media in some capacity. Maybe it's the classical writing sense. Maybe it's the alternative where it's digital media. Maybe you don't really know what you want to do. You just have a passion for it and you want to get into it. Hit me up. Email me, joshpate706 gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh, and we will see if we can set something up. Got one of them tonight in about an hour. Been having a lot of fun with that. As I keep telling you guys, if I could hire you, I'd hire you by the dozens. Got a lot of very talented people in our audience, so I'm happy to talk with you guys and meet you. Until then, though, the next time we speak, for Director Colin, for Tani and Jordan on the podcast side, I'm Josh Bate. Let's cross our fingers for college football Saturday. Until then, have a great rest of your week, and God bless.